That is a uh, great prayer for your pastor. If you ever want to know how to pray for me, pray that pray that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that it would not be my words, but that it would be His. Um, If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verse 20 through verse 36 this morning as we continue on our journey through the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we've come to the last week. John, in particular, kind of uh, kind of gives us a great picture. You see, almost... Uh, almost half of John is dedicated to the last week of Jesus' ministry on earth and the cross and the resurrection. We get a lot of details here. We get a lot of his words, a lot of the things that he says, and they point to some great and wonderful truths, and no more so than what we look at this morning as we look at Jesus talking about his own death and the salvation that comes through it. And so this morning, if you would... Are you are able, if you would please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Again, looking at John chapter 12, starting in verse 20 and reading through verse 36. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must must follow me. And where I am, there my, will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered, And we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, as we come before your word, Father, I pray that we would humble ourselves before it. Lord, that we would desire to hear from You. Lord, that we would not carry in our own preconceived notions about what You're trying to say. That we would not carry in our own 
desires, Lord, for how we would want to live and what we would want the Word to say, but rather that we would be a blank canvas upon which that Your Word can paint the portraits of the cross and the resurrection. Lord, that we may follow You wherever You would have us to go. That You would lead the way. Father, we pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. John, as you might know, John tends to record things that the other three Gospels do not. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of tell a similar account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. John, which was written later, goes back and kind of fills in the gaps a little bit. He kind of says, oh, you guys forgot to talk about this. You guys forgot this miracle. Let me, let me fill in the gaps to give a more complete picture of Jesus Christ. And this, uh, this account that we have here in chapter 12 is no different. Um, we see John record this, whereas we don't see the other, uh, the other Gospels do so. And because of that, it's a little odd where it falls in the line. We're not sure if it falls um, on Sunday, actually, of the entrance, or whether it comes later in Tuesday. For our sake, we're saying that it falls a little later. It does not really matter necessarily in the, in the whole host of things, though. But to understand this, that at some point, Jesus finds himself teaching. He finds himself among the people, and there are some interesting individuals there. And they are the Greeks, we see here God-fearers. It says in verse 1, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, meaning Passover, were some Greeks. We're not told where they were from. They, usually that word Greek there that's used is the idea that they were Greek speakers. So we're not sure that they're from Greece, but it's certainly possible. But at the very least, we know that they are Gentiles. They are not Jewish. And we know that they are Greek-speaking individuals. We also know that they are what are called God-fearers. They are those individuals, though, that they are not born Jewish, that they have made the decision to follow Yahweh. They've made a decision to follow the one true God of Israel. We see in Exodus and Deuteronomy that the law makes a way for individuals like this who see the truth and want to worship God. It makes a way for them to be ingrained into the family of God, into the people, Jewish people. We see different individuals throughout. You may remember Rahab and Ruth and others who God used in some incredible ways and then they were grafted in to the family of Jesus Christ and into the family of the Jewish people as they worshipped God. We see others in the New Testament as well, obviously. We see the Ethiopian um, after um, Jesus is crucified and resurrected as the disciples begin to disperse. We see an Ethiopian eunuch who has come to Jerusalem to worship and he is on his way back home. He's reading the, the scriptures and one of the disciples jumps up in the chariot with him and begins to explain the gospel and he comes to know Jesus Christ as a Savior. And so we see, uh, we see this happen, and then glory to be to God, that's really the story of the New Testament. The story of the gospel, the true uh, worship of God going out among not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. So we see these God-fears. They come up to Philip. We don't know why Philip. It may be because the, the name Philip is kind of a Greek name. 
Uh, it's one that uh, is associated, Alexander the Great's dad was named Philip. And so it may be that they identified Philip, the disciple, and thought, hey, he might, he might have some Greek blood in him. He might know kind of what we're talking about. Um, and so, but they approach him, and Philip doesn't exactly know what to do. So he goes to Andrew. He says, Andrew, here's what's going on. And Andrew's like, well, I don't know what to do either. Let's go to Jesus. So the two of them go before him, and we see Jesus' response to this. Before we get there, though, we see Jesus and the Gentiles in the rest of the New Testament. It's an interesting collection of things that happen. If you go back through the, the rest of the Gospels and look for interactions between Jesus and Gentiles, you see a whole collection of different responses. It's very clear that Jesus prioritizes the, the ministry, his ministry, to the Jews. The gospel was intended for them first, that they would have the first right of receival, kind of so to speak, because they were God's chosen people. Uh, we see Paul mention this in Romans chapter 8, that salvation was first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles also. So Jesus very much in his dealings with, with individuals, especially Gentiles, makes it clear that his priority is to the Jews, and yet there are some remarkable things that we see happen. Jesus and the, the Samaritan, they're sitting, she's sitting at a well, and the great compassion that he has towards her, the great relationship and rapport that he builds with her, and ultimately she comes to understand him as the Messiah. We see uh, a Roman uh, soldier send word that Jesus heal my heal my son and you don't have to come i know that if you just speak a word that you're able to heal through that and jesus responds that he has not seen that kind of faith in all of israel we see a, an interesting and an odd interaction between him and a and a lady um, as they she comes and desires healing for her daughter and he responds in, in kind of an unusual way that uh, and, and his point is, is that grace is for Israel. And she says, yeah, but grace is for the Gentiles as well. And that's what I'm asking for. And he marvels at her faith. Um, and, and he responds and he heals her daughter. So we see that it's primarily for the Jews. But we also see that he, as he begins to expand the horizons of the, the disciples, that they would understand that this gospel is going to be for the Gentiles as well. And so he has these Gentiles, these God-fearers, they come and they want to know Jesus, they want to, to talk with Him, to know more about Him, to be close to Him. And Andrew and Philip come and they ask Jesus about this request. And it's interesting, Jesus really never responds to the request short of saying, I will draw all men to me. Other than that, he really, we never really find out whether he says, yeah, they can come, or no, they can't. What we see here is that Jesus recognizes the request as a sign. We look there in verse 23, And Jesus answered them, Andrew and Philip, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus sees this request from the Gentiles as a sign that the end is near, that the time has come for him to fulfill what he has been there all along, what he's been there to do all along, which is ultimately to lay down his life for all. 
And so as we look at the rest of this passage, Jesus begins to respond to the request, but not in a way that we would expect. He doesn't say, yes, let them come, no, don't. He begins to say, this is the sign that was meant to say, get ready, the end is near, and here is what's going to happen. And so Jesus speaks first of his death. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You get, skip down to verse 27. He says, My soul is troubled, but what shall I, what shall I say? Father, save me for this out, from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to, to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He goes down a little bit farther in, in verse 31 or sorry, in verse 32, and he says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he is going to die. So the first thing that we see as, as we go through this passage is it's very evident that Christ is speaking of his death. He's speaking of what is to come. This is not the first time he's done this, by the way. If you've been reading through the Gospels with us and our plans, we know that Jesus has spoken many times to his disciples that he was going to lay down his life, that he was going to be crucified, that, that they were the rulers of the time were going to kill him, but that this was a necessity. It was a necessity. In fact, it was the reason that he came so that he could lay down his life. Not only that, but he speaks of glory. He says there in verse 23, he says, The hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He speaks first of the glory of the Son. He speaks first of the glory of the Son. And certainly we see this through the rest of the New Testament that Jesus, in laying down his life and then through the resurrection, that Jesus enters back into the glory of of heaven he enters into the glory of the father as he joins him again in that that mystery of the the trinity and that union of three persons of god and yet one god but that he is glorified through the sacrifice that he makes for all men he speaks not only of the glory of the Son, but He speaks of the glory of the Father. He says in verse 27, But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Father, glorify Your name. I love the response there. It says, Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. God is in the business of glorifying His name. That is what he is all about. For us, as humans, that's conceited. When we seek out our own glory, when we seek out our own name to be in the, in the billboard and in the lights, and we seek out to talk about how great we are, we would say that's prideful. We would say that that would be even sinful, that it would be wrong. And yet when God seeks out his glory, it is a good thing because he truly is the all and all and the end of all. I mean, He is everything. He is the all-powerful. He is the all-knowing. He is the creator. He is the alpha and the omega. For Him to seek out His glory is for the good of all of His creation. And so that is what He does. God is in the business of glorifying Himself. 
And he says, I have done it before. And surely, as we look through the the scriptures, through the Old Testament, we see him glorifying himself, whether it is through Abraham or whether it's in the life of Moses and the people of Israel or whether it's in the life of David or Daniel. We see over and over God glorifying and bringing glory to himself by any means necessary. Not only that, but we see it in the life of Christ just before this. In verse 11, you see the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus, the friend of Jesus who had passed away, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and it is too late. He has already been, Lazarus has already been buried, and Jesus asked to go to the tomb. The, the rock is rolled away, and he steps up and he calls forth Lazarus, and Lazarus rejoins the land of the living. And everyone marvels, everyone glorifies God for it. Everyone is singing the praise of Christ, so much so that everyone is turning and believing. And the, the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they look at it and they say, we got to do something about this Lazarus guy. Not only do they want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus because everyone is believing because of him. God says, I have glorified my name. And I will do it again. And certainly he speaks there of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will glorify my name again. You can be assured of this. That God is in the business of glorifying my name. And he has done it and he will do it again. By the way, a little side note. If we serve this holy God, if we say that he is our Lord and our King, and his business is, is about glorifying them himself, then what do you think our business should be about? Our business should be about glorifying God as well. In the things that we say, in the things that we do, in how we worship, in how we live our life, in what we talk to with other people, we, if our Father in Heaven, our King of Kings, our Lord, is in the business of glorifying Himself, then our business should be about glorifying Him as well. Whether that be here in our homes, here in Vandalia, or whether it be around the world, we should be in the business of glorifying God. Jesus not only speaks of His death, He not only speaks of glory, but Jesus speaks of salvation. You see there um, in verse 24, sorry, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus not only speaks of His death, He not only speaks of His glory, but He speaks of salvation. He says there, if anyone loves his life now, in other words, if you value the things of this world, if you value the, the, your possessions, if you value your own glory, if you value what you can say, I have done this, if that is your love and your passion, it will all disappear. None of it's eternal. Your name will eventually fade into nothing. Your legacy eventually will be forgotten. 
your possessions will come to nothing. They ultimately will be someone else's. And then they will be someone else's after that. And if they don't decay, they will be someone else's after that. He says, if you love your life, you will lose it. Not only will all of it disappear one day, but ultimately you will lose eternal life. If you choose to seek out your own glory, to be the king of your own life, and in so doing so, in doing so, declare war on God, because that's ultimately what it is. It's treason against the one true king. Then you will suffer the consequences of that. And those consequences are eternal. At the same time, it does not have to be that way. He says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus has said this kind of thing a lot. He he says you can't love money and love God. You have, to, you have to make a choice. He said things that were even more controversial. He says you have to hate your mother and father. Not meaning that you literally hate those people, but the idea is, is that Christ is predominant. Christ is the preeminent. He is everything. Everything else comes secondary to Him. If you hate your life in this world, if you say this is not all that is, I want more, I want Him, and you're willing to lay it all down, He says you will find life, you will find eternal life in something that never fades away, something that never goes away. doesn't mean it's easy. When He speaks of salvation, He says if anyone serves Me, he must follow Me. We think of salvation, and I, I think at times we've, we've separated it too much. And, and we've had this conversation before if you've heard me preach, but we've separated it too much into just fire insurance. We say, well, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus Christ, and therefore I am saved. And in a manner, that is true. But over and over, what we see in Scripture is that believing in Christ doesn't just mean saying you and having an academic knowledge of, I believe in Jesus, but it means that there's something inside you that changes that now He is your Lord and you follow Him, you obey Him, and you do what He says to do because you desire to do those things. He says, if you are going to say you serve me, then you must follow me. Here's the thing. Where has Jesus been saying he's going to go? He's going to go to the cross. He says, if you want to serve me, if you're going to say that you're a believer, if you want to follow, then you're going to follow me the whole way. Doesn't mean that we all die a martyr's death. But it does mean that we put ourselves to death. It does mean that we put the desires of the flesh to death. It does mean that we leave this world behind. And that we focus upon heavenly things. And we desire heavenly things. We can't hold anything above Him. He says, where I am, my servant will be also. Whether that is at the cross, or whether that's across the world, 
You must follow Me. But glory be to God. He says, if anyone serves Me, the Father will honor him. My goodness, we do not deserve that. (laughs) We who were traitors to God, we who have made so many mistakes, that we would be shown grace. And not only that we would be shown grace, but that we would be shown honor. That should blow our minds. That for the one who serves and serves faithfully, that they will be honored by the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all creation. That's mind-boggling to me. That God would desire to do that in our lives. That He loves us to that extent. And yet we see Jesus extend this invitation. Follow me. It's a call to all. These Greeks that have come, these these God-fearers, there were those that would see them as second-class worshipers in many ways. There were Jews that were like, yeah, it's nice that you figured that out, but you're still not one of us. You're still not part of the, the group. And there are... And they would look at others that way. They would see others that were pagans all across the world. They would think, ah, God will rain down justice upon them one day. There was no desire. There was no desire for them to be pulled into the worship of God. The desire was not there as it says in 1 Kings. I I love what Solomon says there. He's dedicating the first temple And he has a prayer and he says to God in the prayer, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a faraway country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays to this house, here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you in order that all people of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. The Jews had forgotten those words. All people, really, in many ways, had forgotten those words. That God extends an invitation to all people, Jew and Greek, male and female, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter what mistakes maybe you've made, no matter the thoughts that you've had, no matter who you would identify as, Jesus Christ calls to you, follow me and know life. But again, that call is on His terms, not on ours. As we said earlier, it's a call to give up your life. If anyone serves Me, he must follow Me. And where I am, there My servant will be also. It's a call to give up your life. We must understand that the call of Jesus Christ is not on terms that we dictate We have no negotiating power before a holy, righteous God. All we have is an invitation. And we either accept it or we don't. And if we do, we need to understand that we are giving up it all. Father, it's yours. My occupation, my job, my family, 
my relationships, my time, my resources, when we step before a holy God and accept the invitation of eternal life, we need to understand that we do it with open hands. Not only that, but we need to understand that this call to all is not one that is indefinite. We all have received uh, the invitations. Usually it's wedding receptions you see this, but there's other, other events that you see. And it's RSVP. It's like reserve your spot and there's a deadline. And like if you don't reserve your spot by that time, if you don't make a decision before this date, then you're out of luck. Sorry. There is no late reservations. We, we have to have these numbers when we have to have them. In the same way, the invitation of Christ on our lives, the invitation to join Him and to have eternal life, it is limited and there is a time period. The problem is, we don't know when. The difference is, we don't know when that is. We talked about in Sunday school this morning that we know that Jesus is coming back. We know that He is going to return. And He gives us signs and things that we can look for to begin that. But ultimately, no one knows the day or the hour of His return. We don't know. Not only do we not know when He's coming back, but we don't know the days of our own life that have been recorded from the beginning of time. I was, we were out yesterday in the storm. We were going to a visitation and the storm was raging, the wind and the rain and all that and the lightning's crashing around and I find myself in the middle of that storm at the back door of my car holding a metal umbrella in the air over my wife and thinking to myself, huh, this may not have been the smartest thing I've ever done. We do not know the end of our days. <laughs> we do not know when we stick that metal umbrella in the air if that's the last thing we do. We don't know if we step out of this door what will happen. We don't know the number of our days. It may be that you live 80 more years, 100 more years. It may be that you don't live 80 more seconds. We don't know the number of our days. Jesus says, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Friends, you, we don't know win but we know it's going to happen the invitation is for a limited time will you believe while you have the opportunity so that you may have life the call is not is to give up your life the call is limited we must believe while we can but we can know this there is an effectiveness of the cross if you will accept the invitation, we can, I can promise you that He will save. Jesus shares with us three things and then we'll kind of come to a close. He shares with us that His death will draw all men. He says in verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, when He is crucified, He will draw all people to Himself. 
praise the Lord that God Himself will draw those individuals to belief. We can be assured of it. That we step into every nation, every tongue, and every culture, and there is someone there who is going to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. He draws people to Himself. May we, as we said earlier, may we be in the business of glorifying Him because when that happens, when we lift Him up, He draws individuals to Himself and people are saved. They know eternal life. This is the confidence of the evangelist. And when I use that term, I mean all of us. It is the confidence of the one who shares the Gospel that the Word of God will not come back empty. There is an effectiveness of the cross that He will draw individuals. Not only that, but that we will be honored. We, share, we talked about this earlier, that if anyone serves Me, the Father will honor Him. That if we serve Him, that if we will lay down our life, that we will enter into, I love what Matthew says, we will enter into the joy of our Master. We will be honored. And that we will be made children of light. He says there in the last verse, he says 36, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. We have an invitation. We have this great invitation. We have been shown the truth of the Gospel. That though we are separated from God and that we are guilty of much, that we are due the consequences of our sin and of our mistakes, that Jesus Christ died on a cross in our place. That He defeated death for us in the resurrection. And that now He stands with an invitation, come and know eternal life. Know a relationship with Me, the Creator of all things and the Lover of your souls. Know all these things. But we must believe while we can. We only get one life to make this decision. And we don't know when that will end. But for those that do, you are made children of the light. I love, I love when God talks about this, about the adoption that He performs in our lives. That we were orphans. We were in darkness, stumbling around, not knowing where we were going, with no one to care for our souls, for no one to watch out for us, no one who loved us, no one who desired for us to turn back, and yet here comes Christ, the, and here comes the Father, and they adopt us. They, say, they not only say, hey, I'm going to save you. I'm, I'm going to take you to a safe place. They say, you're mine. You are part of the family. You are here with me. My blood is your blood. And now all that I have is yours. The God of all creation says these things to us. Oh, I pray, brother and sister, that you would remember that this week as you look at everything that's going on in your life, as you look at all the trouble that is around you, as you look at a world that is upside down, that you would remember that all of the things of God are yours because you have been adopted. What have we to fret? What have we to worry about? We are His if we follow Him. 
This morning, my prayer is, friend, if you are here and you have never accepted Christ, you've never, never put your faith and trust in Him. And this morning you realize that I need that relationship. I understand that I, I've made mistakes in my life. I understand that there are consequences. I want life and life eternal. I pray that you would make that decision today. Jesus, I want to follow you. And then that you would tell somebody about it. Believer, if you are here this morning, I pray that you would remember that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High Father and that He has given you a mission. And that mission is to glorify His name in all the world. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And we're just going to have a time of response. To say to Jesus, to respond to these words that He's given us, follow me. What does that look like for you this morning? Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning and we are in awe of the fact that you adopt us. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, you make us your own. Lord, what, as I said earlier, what have I to fear now? My Father can take on anyone. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, if there is one here that does not know You, that has never confessed belief in You, Father, this morning that they would know the depths of their need or that You would be pounding on the door of their heart, that they would hear You and that this morning that they would surrender. That they would, they would declare, I am Yours and I am following You. I want that. Father, I pray that You would give them courage to make that confession this morning. Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to follow through with that. That they would let others know what you have done in their life. And in the same breath, Lord, I pray that for, for those that are here that we have already made that profession, Lord, that we would have that same fire and that same desire to let others know what you have done in our life. That we may glorify you in all things. that we may worship and praise You in the cross and in the resurrection. Lord, as You voluntarily took on death for us. Lord, we pray all of these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning,